this morning, um, well, let me go back to last week. Last week, I, I talked about why we have so much Bible teaching here in our church. When you come Sunday morning for the service, you get the Bible. You come to the Sunday school class, you get the Bible. You go to a small group, you get the Bible. We talked about why that's so important uh, for our, our times of gathering together. And, and in a sense, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm saying things that that vast majority of you are going to say, well, yeah, of course, that's right. Uh, but I do it in the spirit of what we're called to do in, in, he, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, where it says to encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today. Is it today? Yeah. All right, so it's a day to encourage. And I want to encourage you not just to be here and to be listening to teaching from me or from one of our other teachers of the Word. But today, I really want to come back and, and say the obvious, to encourage you to be in God's Word all the time, day after day. I'd like to encourage you to, to keep on making, knowing the Bible, the central part of your life. Not just a central part, but the central part. It's critical that you, take, you be taking God's truth from his word every single day as a means of knowing him and loving him. Because it will enrich and it will strengthen every part of your life. So I know some of you have been doing that for, for decades. Uh, some of you are working at making that a regular part and it's a struggle. Some of you are brand new maybe to, to, to feeding on God's word for yourself. But this really applies to every single one of us. Even you young kids, this is for you. Start in God's word for yourself. All, all the way up to those of you who have walked with the Lord for many, many decades, I want to say keep on being in God's word, because no matter what age you are, that is the best thing that you can do. The earlier you begin, the better it is for you. The more consistent you are, the greater impact it will have. And, and it's one of those things that you, you get started in and you think, I just don't, don't get this very well. But over, over, over days and weeks and months and years, there's a cumulative effect as, as, you, as God's word begins to permeate you. As God's word become, begins to become at home in you and then impacts your thinking. Uh, turn with me to a, a passage we looked at last fall, kind of on the same topic, but Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's a, a challenge by Paul. It's something that should be a regular part of every believer's life. Colossians 3, verse 16. And it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And I know I've read this verse many times. We've come back to it again and again. But I want us to, to remember again and be encouraged that God's word isn't just a textbook of facts that, 
that functions, but it's, but it's something that functions and lives in our lives in a life-enriching, a life-transforming way. As we get to really know it and let it affect our thoughts, our emotions, our motivations, and plans, it creates within us a fullness, this passage tells us, that then spills out into others' lives. So it's not just a matter of me filling myself up with God's truth, but here he calls on us to, to teach others. It impacts the music of our souls, it says here, and how we interact with others. When it's at home in us, when we share it with others, that, that's when God's word really begins to be what God intends it to be. And oftentimes we pass over that part at the end where it says, you know, with uh, uh, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But I even just think of that song that the ladies just finished. Admonishing us. Bow the knee when things are hard. See, God's, when God's word enters into the music of our souls, you shouldn't be just holding it in, but singing it out. Whether it's in a group, or whether you are up here in the front, or when you are out day to day in your family, doing your work, whatever, says God's word should be at home in your heart in such a way that it's just the natural overflow of your thoughts. God's word at home in you shouldn't be too strange of an idea because we're told in Scripture that God's word is more necessary than our daily food. Your food is, is what makes you what you are in a sense, right? You know, they say you are what you eat. Well, God's word, spiritually, you are what you eat when you take in his word as your, your daily bread, as what nourishes you. Uh, turn with me to Jeremiah 15, 16. And Jeremiah 15, 16, a great, great verse you could, you could memorize pretty easily. It's got a nice flow to it. And it might re remind you how important it is to be in God's word all the time. Jeremiah 15, 16, it says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Here the prophet Jeremiah is speaking, and, and in the context, it's interesting that this is here. It's, it's, a, it's a joyful verse, but it's not written in a joyful time in the sense of being exuberant. Jeremiah is going through a really hard time. He's having to tell people a message of judgment that they don't want to hear. He has a message of rebuke for the people of Judah. And in the midst of being tempted to despair in the middle of all that, he says, but your words were found. And I, I took them into myself. I, I made them my nourishment. I made them what gave me strength. They became for me a joy. They became for me a delight of my heart. They sustained me through this hard time that I'm going through when I'm feeling attacked by not just anyone, but the leaders of my country who are leading the people into sin. 
Jeremiah knew the richness of the words that came from God, and, and he still delighted in them and was nourished and blessed by them in the midst of really hard times. They reminded him of who he belonged to. Did you that? Because, for I have been called by your name. And so he comes back around, and he hears what God says about those who are called by his name, about those who put their trust in him. You can think about what that meant and draw strength from it. It gave him the strength then to continue on in such a trying time. And, and Jeremiah just kept on going. It was year after year, rejection after rejection. But God's word was his daily spiritual food and strength and sustenance. Jesus taught the same thing. If you'd go to, to the the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. <clears throat> Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4. And this is the, uh, the context. Is that he's been out in the wilderness. He's been out in dry places. And he's been fasting. Forty days and forty nights. And then verse 3 tells us, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here, God the Son, whose very words were the words of God, right? Went back to the, to the book of Deuteronomy. You can find this in Deuteronomy 8.3 and quoted what God had given through Moses. He demonstrated that, that under attack and in difficult times, where do you go? Well, you go to the words God has revealed and preserved for his people. And he says, bread, that's important. Food, hey, your body has to have it to live. But you can't really live on only food. In fact, something more important, something that's, that's even more critical is that you be feeding on the Word of God. So here is Satan's trying to get him to focus on the physical. Jesus says, that's not what's most important. That's not what a man needs more than anything. There is a nourishment that is more basic than food, and it's truth from God. If you want to hear God speak, the primary way he does it today is through his word, through the Bible. Be in it. Hear his word. Be strengthened and nourished by it. And I ask, can we say, like Job said in Job 23, 12, in the midst of his great trial, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I treasure my food quite a bit. Right? How often do our hearts and minds turn towards, oh, what's the next food? What's the snack I can have? What are we going to eat for this occasion or that day? Job said, I've treasured the words of God more than my necessary food, the, the, the stuff that just keeps me alive, right? That's, it's even more important than that. So there's the importance 
of God's Word. Uh, the necessity of it, of it permeating our lives, strengthening us, being what brings us life, not because it's a great book, but because it's the very words of God, the creator, the sustainer, the designer of who we are and what we do. But I want to encourage you today to continue in or to continue to establish or to begin to establish that daily time in God's Word. A continual time where you know that there's at least some time set apart in your day to read God's Word, to think about it, to consider it. It's very important for you to be reading also through the entire Bible. And John Joy's not feeling well here today, but he'd give me a hearty amen there. You've heard his commercials. Be reading through God's Word continually all the time. Because it's of great value for you to study, to read, and to study as much of the Bible as you can. And I'll tell you, if, if, if your only intake of God's Word is to come and sit in church and hear sermons, it's not going to give you all that you need, and I'm not going to cover the whole Scripture. Been at this for 25 years almost now, and there's an awful lot of the Bible I haven't preached through. I've come back to a few books a couple of times even, but you're not going to get the whole Word on Sundays. It's just an impossibility. There's just too much there. So if you're not feeding on God's Word, you're missing out on that big picture, on that whole context. And this book is an interrelated whole. It all fits together. It has a flow to it. And you need to be gaining that flow on your own. You need to be feeding yourself regularly on God's Word so you get that big picture. I'd even recommend uh, something I've done for many years is read it through from a chronological Bible. You can buy a Bible or, or, buy a, or, or get a, a schedule that takes you from Genesis to Revelation in the order that it all happened. And that's, I've found to be very helpful, just to see God's story as it unfolded through the centuries. But definitely be going through God's Word, all of it, because it's all profitable. You might say, well, I just read the New Testament, because that's where it all comes together, and you know, that's kind of the, where it all, what applies most to me, I feel. Well, let me just share a few thoughts with you. Um, I garnered a lot of these facts from a book by Roy Zuck called Basic Bible Interpretation. But in the New Testament, there are 250 to 300 direct quotations of the Old Testament. And, and the reason it's 250 to 300 depends on how you count those. But of those quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament, many of them are then also repeated in other places, so the number is even higher. Allusions to the Old Testament. And that's where you, you get a phrase or, or just a thought that says, think back to what is already mentioned in scriptures earlier. Allusions in, to the Old Testament in the New are far more numerous, and they're harder to count because we don't always catch that the, the Old Testament is being alluded to. But take, for instance, the book of Revelation. There are over 300 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. And there may be as many as 4,000 allusions to the Old Testament in the New Testament. 
And the idea of an illusion, it's kind of like if we were going through and we're talking about politics and we say, oh, that's like Watergate. And then we continue on talking about the current situation. Well, that says you need to import the knowledge of a historical event that happened and, it's, and, and the consequences of it into this discussion. I'm not going to explain it all to you, but let me, I, I'm just going to refer it to you, and it's up to you to figure out what that means. Or we could say, well, that's kind of another 9-11. Oh, well, for those of us who lived through that, we, we, we take all that knowledge that we gained by having lived through it or having read about it or studied it, and we import it then into the conversation. That's the idea of an illusion. Or in, as already is happening and will happen down through the years ahead, people may talk about, oh, yeah, that's like a pandemic or like the pandemic, right? We hope it's the pandemic. Right? But it's just that we, we tag something with a phrase or a reference, and we say, now, go, go to that, that source and pull it back into this context, and it will help you understand what I mean. And the New Testament is full of that, where the New Testament authors assume that we know what's in the Old Testament. And they just throw in a phrase, they throw in a, a brief quote, they throw in kind of something that sounds maybe a paraphrase of something that's in the Old Testament. And the thing is that if you don't know your Old Testament, you miss so much. You may even misunderstand quite a bit because you didn't catch that the New Testament author is saying, oh, you remember that thing you, you learned back in Genesis or Second Chronicles or the Psalms? Bring that knowledge in to help you understand this talk, topic I'm talking about. Because in fact, more than 10% of the New Testament text is made up of citations and direct allusions from the Old Testament. More than 10%. So you can't just leave the Old Testament back there and say, oh yeah, that's, that's that, that stuff back there. No. It lives and breathes throughout the whole New Testament. In fact, Jesus, when he was, he was teaching, assumed that his listeners not only or had read and understood the Old Testament, but that they should be, be catching details, small details about that, those, those texts and bringing it into their understanding. Uh, just one example of several when he said things like, have you not read? Have you not heard? Things like that. Go to Matthew chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Now, he certainly used this the most with the religious leaders of Israel who were known for having studied the Old Testament texts. But he used it with his disciples and with the crowds as well. <clears throat> he would say, haven't you heard? Haven't you read? <clears throat> so Matthew 22, 31 and 32 says... Here he's been brought a question from the Sadducees trying to trip him up. And in answer to their question, he says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, that was the topic they were trying to, to get him with, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so he takes them back to their Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, 
And God says about people who had already died, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac. Not I was the God. Oh, Jesus says, if you know the scriptures, then you catch the fact that that's a present tense there. He's the God of the living. He's not the God of, of people who no longer are living anymore. And so he's saying, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they are alive. There is a resurrection to come, and he is their God, not he was their God. And so he expected people to not only read God's word, but be paying attention even to small details. Remember the verses we looked at last week? 2 Timothy 3, 16 was among them. So let's revisit that one just briefly. This concept of being in all of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16. And notice some detail there. It says, all scripture is inspired or God breathed. Inspired by God or God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture, every part of Scripture has value. Don't just pass over parts of it and say, oh, well, that's just the genealogies. Oh, that's just dry history. Oh, that's just laws that, that we're not under anymore. He says it's all breathed by God and has profit, has use for us now. Now, sometimes it's harder to understand in things like that, right? What is the value of those parts of Scripture? How does it make, how does it profit us so that we can teach, so we can be corrected, so that we can be trained in righteousness? But just like someone who's not a builder may not get why the, there are certain parts to a building, why the parts of the structure are worth having. Sometimes those parts provide structural integrity. Other times they're useful only in rainy weather or in preventing decay of the building. Right? But it's best to trust the builder of all things when it comes to Scripture and take in the whole structure of the Bible and praise him then when he reveals to us the purpose of it. Granted, some of that may not be until we're with him in glory, but it will have an impact on the overall strength of our relationship with him and our overall understanding. And so take in all of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. In fact, now also go back, now go back to Matthew 25 and verse 34. And here, as Jesus is talking about his second coming, he's going to come back one day, and he's, he is speaking about that here. He's going to come back. He's going to uh, finally bring justice to the earth. He's going to rule, and he's going to reign. <clears throat> and here he is the king that's spoken of. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So Jesus, looking ahead, says, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to welcome in a people 
into this kingdom, this kingdom that has been in the, in the works since this world began. The implication there for Scripture is that's the story. From the foundation of the earth, and even before that, all the way through history, how God worked that out, how, how the, the story that God has been writing is told. Now we're to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? How do you build your love for him? Well, you know him. You invest in understanding him. You join in to what he is doing, and, and we're quite a ways into the process here, right? So it's good for us to, to well, what, how, how did this story start? How did God work it out and so we would end up at the place where we are now? How did it unfold? If you know and you love Jesus, you'll want to know his whole story. You'll want to know his goals, his intentions, and where he's going next. As I urge you, be in all of God's word and do it on a continual basis. Because really the whole points to Jesus. He is the culmination of all these words preserved for us. Turn with me to John chapter 5, uh, verses 39 and 40. And here he is again speaking to the Jewish leaders. <clears throat> and they are upset because he has been calling God his own father, his particular father. He has been saying, I am the son of God. And they understood what that meant. That meant that he was claiming to be God. And they wanted to stone him to death. So in, in John 5, verses 39 and 40, he says to, the, to these very learned people, these people who were considered the experts in the Old Testament scriptures, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. He rebukes them. They've read the scriptures. They've studied them. They've even looked at the minor details and, and the minutia of it all. But they missed the point. They missed what it was all to culminate in. The whole thing testifies to them about him, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was to come. So I urge you, don't miss the point of God's word. Now, understand, you don't need to squeeze or twist the Bible to make Jesus be in every single verse. That's a, that's a mistake that some people make. They, they, they put double meanings and, and layer things over the top of the Scripture. Know its flow, know its patterns, and you won't be able to miss him. And there will be places you'll be surprised to find him without having to force it, without having to, uh, to, to change things or add meaning that's not there. It's all in, in the weave of it and how it's formed together and blended together. You will find Jesus living all throughout the Old Testament and then bursting brightly into, onto the scene in the new. And that's really the way Jesus helped some of the disciples out. If you go with me to Luke chapter 24, and here is after the, the resurrection. 
Remember on the road to Emmaus, a couple of, of the, his followers suddenly had an added guest, right? And he walked along with them, and he's like, what's going on? Why are you so sad? What, 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 what's, what's going on here? And they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem with Jesus of Nazareth? And as he walked along, here's what Jesus did, verses 25 through 27. He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in Don't miss this. In all the scriptures. Jesus went back. He said, look at this. Look at the flow. Look at the different things. Throughout all these books, throughout all these writings that you have, they point to me. It's not a mistake. This is something that's been happening for centuries. And I don't know about you, but I've often said, boy, I wish I could have listened in on that, that lesson as they were walking along, right? Don't you wonder why God left that out? Because he told all that? I think there's a reason for it. Because he wants us to say, oh, in all all of the writings from Moses on, where is Jesus at? He wants us to to be with, with eagerness, searching it out and saying, what did God write? And how was it fulfilled in Jesus? He wants us to have a hunger for that. He wants us to be continually pouring through not just some scriptures, but all the scriptures to see how it points to him. And as we do that, as we continually feed on his word, there's going to be some real personal benefits. In understanding the scripture to begin with, there are many things that are hard to understand in the Bible. I'll admit that right up front. It's hard to grasp all the truth there. All of those things, those hard things, though, can be better understood by knowing the flow of the verses that come around them than the flow of that particular part of Scripture and the overall flow and the truths from the whole Bible. So as you build that that whole picture, those things that come up and you say, what is it talking about? It's going to improve your ability to understand the individual parts. It's going to improve your ability to understand the stuff that makes you wonder. The more scattered, the more isolated your Bible knowledge is, the harder it will be for you to understand Scripture. If you primarily go and just take little bits and pieces of the Scripture from here and from there to prove your, your, your positions, you're living in dangerous territory. You're so much better off to know the big picture of those individual verses. In our time that we live, it's so easy to search the scriptures. You pull up the scriptures on a computer or a phone. You do a search. You go around and you find things. But I also want you to to value that. That's a great gift we have in our time. But if those truths... If that big flow is building into your heart and your mind, you're going to make those connections more quickly and more substantially, more more profit 
than just searching for individual scriptures here and there that connect to your point. It's interesting, on Sunday nights, we, we talk about questions that people who come bring up. And I would say every question that we've discussed, the immediate context of the verse has always at least been helpful in understanding the answer to the question. Sometimes we get the whole reason, or the whole answer to the question right there in the context because we just read some verses before it and after it, and well, what do those mean? What was the author of that section saying? What was his point? What was the flow of, of what he's talking about? Context. You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it a thousand times probably, right? How do you, how do you interpret Scripture? Well, the first th main three rules are what? Context, context, context. Get the flow. And you need the flow of the whole of Scripture as well, not just the immediate flow of Scripture. And so that's a great benefit when you come to knowing God's Word, therefore knowing God better. But the other benefit of, of, of having that known and understood in you is that you take God's Word with you. Uh, turn with me to that, that amazing chapter in the Psalms, Psalm 119. Uh, so many verses there that are about God's Word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 first. <clears throat> says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's great we have phones that have the Bible on them. You can pull up any version of the Bible you want, right? You can have it read the Bible to you. It should be closer, though. Treasure it. Store it away in your heart. And then it's always with you, even if you lose or break your phone or don't have access to a book or a computer. Right? Blessed are you, verse 12, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. You can see a, a desire, a love for God's word there. Uh, let's jump ahead then to 97, verse 97 of the same chapter. And go down through verse 105. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your, test, your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For from your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. So you can be wiser than the old person who's got lots of experience but doesn't have the Bible. You can understand more than your enemies because you have God's perspective if you know this and it's treasured away in your heart. You can make a wise plan if you understand this because it directs you in the way that you should go. If you have an opportunity to share the gospel with others and you've treasured God's word away, it's there to come out and be be released by the Holy Spirit in your conversation. Now, it's nothing wrong with having experience in life or education or those things that he says he's wiser than because he knows God's word. But make sure, even if you don't have those other things, if you're young and you know nothing, know God's word. And you will grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding far faster than someone else who goes out and has lots of experience but doesn't know God and doesn't know his word. Jesus had God's words with him. He quoted them on the cross. There's no looking them up there, right? Stephen summarized God's story and quoted God's word. As he was called before the Sanhedrin, the highest court of his day, God's word flowed out of him because he knew it. It poured out of Mary's heart when she praised God for giving her the privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. When she praised him, what came out of her? Well, it's what she had taken in, God's word. And the beauty of knowing God's word is that it can examine your heart. Again, very familiar passage, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. 12 and 13. Just turn there briefly. Some of you could quote this from memory, I hope. Because memorizing God's word is of great value. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge catch this, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Don't you think that you can judge other people's thoughts and intentions, okay? But God's word can judge yours and make them clear to you and help you understand what you need to change about your thinking. And he says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God's word gets directed by the Holy Spirit, its author, and gets to the deepest, most private, and least understood parts of your being. That might seem a little frightening, right? That it understands, God understands how you think, reason, dream, desire, how you fear. And his word is going to get into those places in me? But remember, who is it that's directing his word? The one who loves us, cares for us, and wants what's best for us more than anyone. Anyone, and has shown it in the most dramatic way possible by sending his son to actually die and give his life for us. Can we trust him to do surgery, right? Right down to the middle of our hearts? We can. And we can know that it's for our best. And we will come out of that far better than had we not let God's word down inside there. So keep on reading God's word. 
Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Sing it. And especially, live it. It's more accessible to us, as I said, in our time than ever. You can have it on your phone. You can have your computer or your phone or your CD player read it to you if you have trouble with reading it. You can get together with a friend and discuss what you've read. Keep each other accountable to keep on going through it. That might be one of the, the best, best things you'll ever do is say to a friend, let's just talk once a week and ask each other, have you been reading God's word every single day? You can share it with your children, with your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors. Take advantage of all those opportunities and from the heart, use God's word to better know him and love him with your whole being, right? With your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you let this get out of the rhythm of your life, and maybe that's what, what happens sometimes. Life gets crazy. Sometimes it takes a lot of, of discipline and a certain time of day to be in God's word. So maybe it's that slipped. Now is the time to reestablish it. Start today with your Bible time again, or your Bible times in a day, right? Ask someone to keep you accountable. Ask somebody to, to push you. Ask somebody to ask you questions about what you've read. It's too important to let that go. Dive in with your whole heart. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. It is you, your thoughts, preserved on paper for us. It's your thoughts preserved over the centuries, but it's your story that you have written that you have laid out for us, and, and it, it produces such great benefit. Lord, help us to not neglect that. Help us to not to get distracted by the world around us. Help us to not be tempted to, to think other things are of more importance. Keep us day by day, hour by hour, in your word, considering it. Bring it to mind. Bring songs with scripture and scripture principles to our hearts and minds all throughout our day, please, Lord that we would not forget who you are and what you're doing. We ask this and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.